0: Welcome to Next Level Commerce, a Freedom Pay podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Next Level Commerce, a Freedom Pay podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And, folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. Make sure that as you're listening along, you're subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you can listen to some more next-level commerce conversations. And make sure you're going to our website, freedompay.com, for more information about our solutions and services and, of course, some more Freedom Pay content. So coming up later in October on the 29th at 2 p.m. Central, We are going to be having Freedom Pays live roundtable on retail's economic recovery. And as we get closer to that unique blend of thought, leadership and perspectives, we wanted to do a few podcasts kind of teasing some of the content we're going to be seeing on the roundtable and getting a a closer look at uh, what our audience can expect from said roundtable, as well as why analyzing retail's response to COVID is so critical for understanding what's next for the retail landscape. So on this episode of Next Level Commerce, we're sitting down with Angela Whiteford. She's the CMO of Forder, a leading fraud prevention and protection company offering solutions for real-time automated decisions for all kinds of transactions. And since COVID hit earlier this year, e-commerce has seen an explosion in growth as customers flock to contactless options for their grocery and retail needs. But with that growth comes, obviously, more transactions as well as the risk for fraud. So how should retailers be approaching this growth in online sales and making sure they're both protecting their business interests while also not accidentally overprotecting against new customers. So we're going to be bringing on one of our panelists from the upcoming roundtable here to give us their insights. Again, CMO of Forder, Angela Whiteford. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing?
1: I am great. Thank you, Daniel. Really excited to be here today.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure getting to chat today and a pleasure getting to source your insights a little early here on the podcast before the roundtable. So to start, let's get some more context on the company and on you. Uh, Can you give our audience a little more context on how Forder intersects with the retail landscape? So just break down some of y'all's solutions and how you aim to make those solutions uh, respond to actionable needs in the industry.
1: Sure. So, what Forder does is we provide fraud prevention for any merchant's online business, and we support merchants across the globe. And when we think of fraud, there's a lot of different variations of fraud. There's transaction fraud, so if somebody has stolen credit card credentials and using those fake credentials to make a purchase, that's one type of fraud. There's also fraud where people might take over an account. We call that account takeover attacks, where they're taking over an account and then they're using that information and the credentials associated with it to make fraudulent purchases. There is also another situation which is called abuse or policy abuse. And this is where actually consumers or they will call themselves savvy shoppers, and I'm sure some of us have done this, where we go in or consumers go in and actually abuse policies. And some examples of this are promotional abuse. So you might get a particular promotion if you refer a friend or open up an account. So people will try to open up accounts in different names. to to acquire that promotion, there are things like returns abuse. And this one, I honestly think we've all done, right? It's called wardrobing, where you will actually buy something, you will wear it, you will keep the tags on, and you will return it. But that's a form of returns abuse. And so forder really covers the gamut between transactional fraud, account type fraud, what we call uh, account takeover or new account fraud, and then variations of policy abuse, returns abuse, promotional abuse, item not received abuse. So this would be an example where someone makes a purchase, the purchase is delivered to their home, but they file a claim saying it wasn't delivered. And then they basically get the purchase for free and then they will get another purchase sent to them. And that's considered item not received abuse. So these are all different variations. You can actually take this even one step further into something like loyalty programs. So this is an example where there is not as much security in place. And we're seeing fraudsters come in and hack loyalty program accounts, siphon off the points and put them into a different account so they can use them. And they, loyalty points are very good. They're like cash because there's such great loyalty programs out there. You can buy gift cards and so forth. So they're a hot area for fraud.
0: Those loyalty programs are probably one example of how the industry in the last several years uh, has introduced new avenues for fraud and has uh, you know expanded um solutions as well to respond to those needs. But just maybe more generally, can you give us uh, some more? points along the timeline for how you've seen the retail industry evolve and uh how that has created other new opportunities for uh potential fraud and the needs for fraud prevention
1: yeah it's really interesting right now let's just pick the COVID environment right so you're talking about contactless purchases so one of the things that we saw in uh, the data that we collect so so let me take a step back for a second. How does the Forder platform work? So the Forder platform works in this way is that we work with merchants across the globe and those merchants create a data network. And that information feeds into that network. And we use all of that information, this global merchant network, to get a really good understanding of what fraudsters and fraudulent behavior looks like And also just as important is to get a good understanding of what legitimate behavior looks like, right? So we take all of that information, we're looking at that data in that network and we use that information. We don't share the information at all, but we use that information to make those, as you mentioned earlier, those real-time decisions. Is Is this a fraudulent transaction or is this a legitimate transaction? And what we're doing is we're looking at that digital identity behind the transaction to say, Hey, is this someone we've seen before? Yes. And is this person a legitimate person or is this person a fraudster? And why is that important? I wanted to give you that background because we just came out with something recently called the Fraud Attack Index. We produce it twice a year and we look at the data from that network to understand what's happening. Are we seeing more, more fraud in certain verticals? Are we seeing different types of methods of attack? And in that, we saw something basically it, during the COVID environment. And we saw an increase on buy online, pick up in store fraud. And so basically what's happening is merchants really want to provide a frictionless experience to their consumers. So they're not doing a great job of check, checking credentials when someone comes and picks up a purchase. And that's just one example. So we saw what the industry calls BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store fraud, grow by 55%. And so that's an example of something new and very indicative of of something new that's happening in the retail industry, right? BOPUS became more popular because of the pandemic. And guess what? Fraudsters go right there. When there is a new channel open, they will go right there and try to take advantage of that because they know the security is low.
0: What is the uh, typical gap that you see in the industry between uh, something like a, a new initiative for... Online shopping, or a new loyalty program, and then there being some sort of at scale a security measure to prevent against fraudsters. Is there typically a window of several weeks, months, years before that's rolled out at scale in a way that uh, can help retailers feel more comfortable? Is it is it immediate? It's just more on the retailers that uh, you know they they potentially lag in getting those solutions deployed at scale.
1: What are your thoughts there? From a merchant perspective, fraud prevention has evolved over time. And I can talk a little bit about that, which is typically how fraud prevention starts is many merchants, they'll have a manual review team. So they're actually manually going in and reviewing, you know, suspicious transactions. They might put in a rules-based system. So they put rules in place. If you see if you see this type of behavior, block it. The challenge with a rules-based system is You can only put in the rule after you've seen the fraud. So you've been attacked already. So you're not actually proactively preventing fraud, you're kind of doing it after the fact. And fraudsters are smart. They're they're like businesses themselves. They're using automation, they're using machine learning, they're collaborating as well. So they're very sophisticated. So you, you have to be really fast moving in your fraud prevention in order to keep up with them. So they'll have manual review. They'll have a rules-based system. They may put in some off-the-shelf machine learning, but these are all like stacks. They're, they're like tool on top of tool on top of tool. These tools don't talk to each other. And what this does is two things. One, the fraud gets through, and two, you actually block legitimate buyers. And so the network that I talked to you about earlier is critical. You really can't fight fraud alone. Merchants need to come together and build, you know, what we call is uh, an ecosystem, an ecosystem of trust, where we're building this network of shared learning. What's the most important thing in fraud prevention? The most important thing in fraud prevention is your ability to accurately uh, identify a good guy versus a bad guy. How can you do that if you're if the only data that you have is based on your own site? And that's where that network comes into the play. The more merchants that enter the network and the more data that we see, the the better everybody becomes, right? The smarter everybody becomes, the more accurate the decisions become. So again, it's really important to have a system that is powered by this network. You need to have a lot of data. There needs to be a depth in data in the network. So you need to understand Behavioral analytics, device analytics, cyber intelligence—you need to be seeing all of that to accurately identify good guys versus bad guys. And the last piece that's really important is time. So the data starts—the value of the data starts to decay over time. So you need to make sure you're updating this information all in real time, and uh, and that's something that's very important. And so with border system, what we're doing is we have the power of the network. And we have this system in place that's based on machine learning and it's automated and it's all in real time. And so it allows merchants to scale very, very quickly. Right. And so in a situation like COVID, we saw something happen in the peak of COVID. We saw that the number of new users coming online, and I'm sure you've heard this from merchants as well, increased by five X before COVID typically on average our merchant traffic would make, make up 5 to 7% of new users. And the rest were existing and returning users. During the height of COVID, that went up to 30%. So that's five times what they're used to. And if you don't have this real-time automated solution or you don't have the power of the network, you can't scale. To support and identify those number those new users. And two, you don't have the network and information to accurately identify the good guys versus the bad guys. So what happens? For those new users, you are gonna falsely decline them at a five to seven times higher rate than you would do that, than you would do for an existing or returning user. Five to seven times. And and let me unpack that for a bit, if that makes sense. If you decline a new user, there's a very large percentage chance that that user will not come back to your site. Well, guess where they go? They will go to a competitive site. The retail business is a zero sum game, right? So you're basically, not only are you falsely declining the user because they're a good user like myself, um, but then you're also sending them to your competition. So you're getting hit twofold. And these new users, and I'm sure we've heard seen this data as well. These new users, They're going to keep coming back and shopping online. It's not just once the stores open back up, they're going to go back to brick and mortar. They're going to get used to shopping online. You know, groceries, for example, like Instacart is a great example where people started shopping with them out of necessity. But people are going to continue to use them because of how easy it is going forward so the lifetime value of that new user is significant it's not one transaction it looks more like the lifetime value of a return user so if you're falsely declining okay. those new users and you know there's somewhere between probably 20 and 50% chance that they're going to go over to the competition when you decline them it's a lot of money that you're losing that you ideally were hopefully banking on because you're like oh great all these new users are coming to myself to my site. And you don't realize that based on your fraud prevention, you're actually turning away a bunch of money.
0: Has the industry had to respond to this sort of rush to online orders at scale ever before? Is there anything comparatively that matches up to what we've seen with COVID pushing people online? Yes, no. Why or why not?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And guess where you see it? Um, And it'll be in, It'll be obvious to you when I say it, it's the holiday season.
0: Mm, Ah, yes, yes, yes.
1: (laughs) So Black Friday and Cyber Monday, everybody rushes um, to get a, to ensure a good experience and capitalize on those shopping days and the online purchases on, on those shopping days, right? And making sure they're having a great experience. And what we've seen So it could be Black Friday. It could be Cyber Monday. It could be Valentine's Day. It's all of those major shopping days and opportunities where we have seen merchants get impacted by not being able to scale, by getting hit with more fraud. Um, Those are the two big things they'll see. And then they realize after the fact, oh my gosh, my fraud prevention is not working. Uh, We have a great example of a customer, Snipes, which is they were doing a lot of manual review. They could not keep up with the demand. They had a very a uh, strong brick and mortar business, they had to pivot to online business and they wanted to make sure that they were capturing all those retailers. And they had to move to an automated solution just to keep up with the amount of orders that were coming in. And then as well, making sure that they were accurately approving more legitimate customers and keeping the product. And they really saw the automated solution, the real time, the accuracy is critical to their business for them to grow uh, and and keep those Consumers and expand during COVID.
0: So let's break down what the right kind of fraud prevention solution looks like. Uh, Let's start by uh, breaking down exactly how quality fraud prevention can help approve more quality consumers. Can you break down where the issue lies there and then how a solution can step in and support businesses?
1: So, when you think about fraud prevention, I'm going to break it down into about five different parts, okay, to just keep it keep it straightforward and some of this I've touched on, so I'll, I'll keep it light in some sections. One of the most important parts is that fraudsters are smart and and you think it just think of it like you you're you're trying to plug holes that if you plug one hole, they'll find another place in your business where they will go and attack. And remember, I mentioned loyalty programs as an example where there's not a lot of protection there. Merchants don't think about it. And we we saw loyalty fraud increase uh, last year significantly. So what's really important, the first piece of fraud prevention is make sure that whatever you're putting in place, you're protecting across the different touch points in the customer journey. And so it can be at the point where someone logs into an account, It could be at the point where somebody's updating their account with like new payment credentials. Someone's trying to redeem a coupon. It could be at the point of purchase. It could be the, the buy online, pick up in store example. It could be somebody trying to initiate a return, right? So I'm just giving you some examples of the different interaction points in a customer journey. And you need to make sure that you have fraud prevention that's protecting you at those different touch points where they're giving you their ab- ability to give an approved or decline decision at those different touch points. That's really important. It's also important that if you're doing a good job there, you can actually create, if you have a really good ability to identify the good guys from the bad guys, then you can reduce the amount of you know, layers or frictions or hurdles that you make consumers to jump through to validate that they're a good guy or not, right? And so again, the Amazon example is great as it's a one-click purchase because they know that if you're a legitimate buyer or not and so they they don't make you jump through those extra hurdles and I think that's really important. So one, protect yourself in those different touch points but two, you can make that whole experience a lot more seamless if you have accurate fraud prevention. You can make it easy for them and make it a better experience. The other piece is we talked about this. This is this idea about this global data network of merchants, right? And it, and what that does is by having the power of this network feeding the decisioning of, uh, is this an accurate transact, is this a legitimate transaction or is this a fraudulent transaction? You really need this global data network that provides that comprehensive view of fraudulent behavior but just as much a comprehensive view of legitimate consumer behaviors and interactions. Because I mentioned that a lot of the merchants with their current fraud prevention systems, they don't have enough data, and so they're falsely declining good legitimate users, which is money you're just throwing away. I think, Daniel, you probably have examples of this, and I have examples of this. When I've been traveling abroad and I try to use a credit card abroad, that I will get declined. And that's because whatever brand I'm trying to shop with does not have the information to know that this is Angela Whiteford. Angela Whiteford travels on a regular basis. It is not uncommon for her to be sitting in a cab or in a hotel in Singapore, purchasing tickets within 24 hours to take another trip. That is normal behavior for Angela. If you have the right fraud prevention system, you've profiled my digital identity and you know that this is legitimate behavior and you would approve me. But many many fraud prevention systems or the way they've approached fraud prevention don't have the ability to do that. So that network of understanding good behavior versus bad behavior is really important. The third piece is just machine learning, right? Again, you need to be absorbing lots of data and taking that information and being able to use that information to make decisions in real time. And this is all about automation. This is about the ability to scale. And this is about the ability to ingest large data sets and make it to help with greater accuracy. So, that's just something fundamental that platforms based on machine learning have that ability. Just, just a quick thing on machine learning, and I think this is important, is that it's you really need the man and the machine combo, and there's probably so many movies out that, that are great examples of that, right? Like Terminator is probably one of them <laughs> as an example. but. There is a human element. Machine learning is only as good as the data that you put into the model. And you have to curate that data, right? You have to connect the dots in that data and give that data context to make the model work. And that's where fraud expertise comes in. You've got got to have people looking at the data to say, okay, I'm seeing these three different data points. What is that story I'm trying to tell? There's a person using a credit card from one country, they're in another country, they're trying to make a purchase. Is that fraudulent behavior? Or is this someone just traveling to another country and it's, it's their vacation season and this is where they typically go? And that really comes with human expertise. So that that man and the machine really comes together with machine learning and I think that's extremely important. Some fraud prevention systems, they just it's data in, data out, and you're not gonna get accuracy associated with that if you do it that way. The fourth piece of this is really this idea of fraud analytics and and so having having a system that's built on fraud experts, like I just talked about, that's proactively researching and uncovering new fraud trends. So for example, when ride sharing came out, we had to start brainstorming, okay, how are fraudsters going to commit fraud here? What are they going to do? And we need to make sure that we're putting those concepts into the model. So again, our goal is to proactively prevent the fraud before it hits a merchant, right? So you have to be thinking about that and that's just research always looking ahead to see what could potentially happen. Fraud analytics is also identifying behavioral patterns in the data. Are there things that we're seeing that are legitimate behavioral patterns or fraudulent behavioral patterns? Identifying different places or vectors of attack, I think that's also important. Cyber intelligence, right? This is important. Do you have the ability to identify fraud rings? Remember earlier I talked about how fraudsters have their own businesses. They have people that harvest the data, then they have people that operationalize the data and execute. Like there's different groups doing different things. They're a company in themselves. How do you identify those rings and how do you identify that they're working together? You need a system that can do that. Fraud analytics helps. It, I mentioned the behavioral analytics, right, it, the the probability that a user is using a bot or they have su- suspicious kind of browsing patterns, they're using left hand versus right hand. These are all behavioral analytics that feed into legitimate behavior versus fraudulent behavior. And then also important in, in feeding into the fraud systems is making sure you're getting real-time feedback from the merchant themselves, right? They know their consumers very well and incorporating that merchant feedback into the models as well just to make it smarter as it continues. The last piece of this, and we talked about it earlier, um, is the idea of tailoring the fraud prevention models. Every merchant is different. Every merchant has a different risk appetite. They have a, a different margin profile. They have different business models. They operate in different geographies. They have different digital initiatives. Some people might be doing buy online, pick up in stores. Some people might be doing some might be Some people might be doing next day shipping. You have to take that into account when you build a fraud prevention model. You have to incorporate that in because that's critical to accuracy. So you have to have models that can be tailored to the individual merchant's business. And I think that's really important. So those are the five main things when you're thinking about fraud prevention you should consider.
0: There's another piece I want to uh, highlight briefly. But that would be digital transformation. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, on top of all of these changes, on top of the growth of uh, e-commerce and having to try to identify what is uh, fraudulent what is not fraudulent, you get another extra layer of companies having to uh, change their business models to a digital landscape anyways, uh, having to adapt to um, new rules, new regulations, new uh, dynamics of the market. And with that transformation comes um, an expectation of Delivering a quality user experience online, uh, comes with delivering uh, a quality shipping experience. I mean, Amazon setting the bar at next day or same day shipping can leave a lot of operations feeling the pressure to match that to some degree. right? So with all of that comes... other opportunities for pro, uh, excuse me for fraud prevention. So, um, where do you see this digital transformation intersecting with everything you just broke down as well?
1: It's critical, actually. So, you gave a perfect example. Next-day shipping, curbside pickup, buy online pickup in store. These are all digital transformation initiatives. You cannot do those initiatives if you have A large part of your fraud prevention process is manual review. There is no way you can offer those services. That is a perfect example of where you need automation. You need to be making decisions in real time. Yes, no decision in under a second in order to offer those services. I love it. Those are great examples of exactly that. And so that is a huge driver of why people are modernizing their fraud prevention and what we're seeing with a lot of our customers is for that exact reason, because they realize that they can't offer those services without automating, without providing real time, without being able to deliver that level of accuracy that you can get with a platform, a fraud prevention platform that's powered by you know a large network of data.
0: So Angela, so far we've been talking a lot about companies that have had to adapt to a digital landscape. You've also worked with several companies that are digital natives, so born online with their whole model running on e-commerce in a landscape that they're obviously very familiar with. Do they face different issues in fraud prevention or experience the same issues but experience them differently? And what can brick-and-mortar-first retailers learn from how these digital natives approach their fraud prevention?
1: That's a great question. And actually, we have seen a difference with some of them. I think with the digital natives, they understand the power of technology from the get-go, right? Many of their platforms are powered by machine learning and AI, and they believe in automation. They have their own data scientists within their organization. Software companies are a great example of that. And so they actually have an aptitude for the technology and they see technology as a differentiator for their business. So we actually see many of them very forward thinking and looking at advanced fraud prevention solutions because they use that in their own business. And I think that's an opportunity for the brick and mortar companies that as they pivot to look at to some of these examples of the digital natives as how they're seeing and using technology as a competitive differentiator for them, right? And as we talked about earlier, During the COVID environment, whether they were brick or mortar or digital native, there are companies that were very forward looking and thought about fraud prevention early on. And they really, I mean, they reaped the benefits of of the online surge during the pandemic. Some of our customers saw 400% increase and they didn't see a hiccup at all from a fraud prevention standpoint. And they were able to take advantage of all that new LTV coming through with those new customers.
0: All right, Angela, thank you so much for giving us all this context on the podcast so far on uh, fraud prevention in general, how COVID has amplified uh, the need for fraud prevention, and some of the different ways that that can manifest itself for online retail operations. I want to go ahead and pivot now as we wrap up the podcast to chat a little bit about Freedom Pay's upcoming event that you are participating in soon. Uh, like we said, coming up on October 29th at 2 p.m. Central, Freedom Pay is hosting a live industry roundtable where you and several other thought leaders are going to analyze and discuss strategies for economic recovery in retail as we move into 2021 with COVID as context and otherwise. And on top of that, talking about how innovative technologies are going to enable this recovery. Uh, so just in general, what are you most excited about for the panel and why? What's, uh, what's getting you amped?
1: I think it's re- it'll be really interesting to see what the other panelists have seen during, the, during this time and how they can share insights and how their technology is helping retailers during this time. I think that's going to be interesting for me to see. You know, similar how we talked about fraud prevention today, what are those other technologies that can help merchants, retailers, any online business thrive and survive? I think are two key things: survive and thrive during this time where the world has changed. It's kind of upside down right now. So how are the how can the different technologies help them? And I'm excited to hear about that from the other panelists.
0: Based on what we've been talking about today around fraud prevention, fraud prevention strategies and technologies, how do you see some of that and other trends we've discussed intersecting with um, some of the major conversations you expect to have on the panel and maybe what some of the other panelists are going to be talking about?
1: I know some of the panelists' technology areas are in the dining space and especially online delivery. And that has seen enormous growth during the last six months, as an example. So I think it's going to be interesting and exciting to hear about the different technologies in place. And from my perspective, how are they thinking about fraud prevention as they're putting these technologies in place in terms of payments from a contactless dining, for example, or self-checkout? How do they think about fraud prevention and what are they doing?
0: And then finally, what are some takeaways that you hope industry professionals get from the panel and why? Uh, What do you imagine is most actionable that a retail audience should be listening for, should be keeping uh, front of mind?
1: Look, we are going into a massive holiday season. They should be thinking about now what can they be doing from a one fraud prevention standpoint, but from another from the other panelist standpoint, from a technology standpoint, to capture as much of that revenue as possible. And then the other thing that I would say they should be thinking about on the back end is post-holiday season, what are the things that we're going to see? We're going to see things like returns abuse and and promo abuse. Some of that will be happening during the holiday season as well. And how do you protect yourselves from some of that those trends that we're gonna be seeing coming in post holiday season. But first and foremost, just being ready for that holiday season and do they have systems prepared and they should be going and looking into that to get ready.
0: All right, Angela Whiteford, CMO of Forder, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and giving us your perspectives on fraud prevention, technologies, strategies, and some of the intersections we've seen with the major COVID shift in retail if folks want to find out more about forder uh, where can they get in touch where can they learn more
1: forder.com f-o-r-t-e-r.com that would be the perfect place to go
0: awesome easy enough all right angela whiteford thank you again for joining us and looking forward to the panel here later in october
1: thank you so much daniel this was great
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Next Level Commerce, a Freedom Pay podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you're going to freedompay.com or subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And again, make sure you're signing up for our upcoming roundtable on retail's economic recovery. Again, that's October the 29th at 2 p.m. Central. If you're not able to sign up and watch live, we will be posting it on the site afterwards so you can get all of the insights and of course make sure that you're listening to our other panelists here on the podcast to get a taste for what's to come i'm your host daniel litwin the voice of b2b and we'll catch you next time